Episode 82 at Winning at Work. Hi, I'm Tony Moore, and today I've got the Chief Revenue Officer at Outer Isle, Brian Samino. Of course, I butcher his name right off the bat. You'd think I had never spoken with Brian before. I had. It's just he's got a French first name, um, Italian last name. I don't know. What can I tell you? Brian is a CPG expert, and that's why I wanted him to join us today because he really understands the four pillars for a successful CPG brand, like the pillars of success. And he's going to walk us through the four things that every CPG has to have to be a viable company. And certainly Outer Isle fits that just to a T. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're really just wanting to launch a CPG, you've got a great product, you're working on it in your kitchen, you need to think about this. If you're trying to go through the process of premiumization, right? We learned about that through Eric Skay, the CEO at Carbone Fine Foods the master of taking a product and pushing it and elevating it into the premiumization category. If you're wanting to take something into that premiumization area, this is what you're trying to do. Okay. You're working on that category. You're, you know, is there a unique selling proposition? You know, what's that financial viability? What are those margins? So Brian's going to go through all that this is a great mini master class. He is a fantastic storyteller. You can tell he's someone that you'd probably want to work for if you had a sales and sales and marketing background, if you were in category management. I think you'd absolutely want to work for this guy. I had an absolute blast talking to Brian. He was really nice when I butchered his name. So again, I'm going to leave that in. I think it's kind of funny. Um, I think he did too, to be honest with you. He's a great guy. Guys, uh, if you're enjoying the content Please like, share, subscribe. Let's get it out more on LinkedIn. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify. You can subscribe to it there. You'll always be notified when new episodes come up. I hope you guys enjoy this great and entertaining episode with Brian Semino. Welcome to Winning at Work. Today I have Brian Semino. He is the Chief Revenue Officer at Outer Isle, and it's it's great that I'm able to speak with experts in CPG and food and beverage because they bring such a, a passion and they bring just a, a depth of knowledge that you're just not going to get anywhere else. And that is absolutely the case with Brian today. And by the way, did I just butcher your last name? Uh, it's okay. You know, that's what happens. I when did. You know. I did. What, say <laughs> it. I, I did. Let's hear it. It's um, it's Brian Semino, and and Semino. it's what happens when you yeah you have a French first name and an Italian last name. So, see, I um, I love starting a podcast, sticking my <laughs> foot right in my mouth. It sets the tone. It can only go up from here. Absolutely. Don't so, worry, you're not <laughs> you're not the only one that butchers it. Semino. Got it. See, now I now it's in it's in my my lexicon now forever. You know what I love about uh, just right off the bat, outer aisle. Everyone knows when you go to the grocery store that the outer aisles is where you find all your nutrition, right? When you go inside, you know, you get into all the processed stuff. So people always you know kind of go to the outside. I think it's really clever, probably more than clever, just to you know name your company uh, outer aisle. So before we kind of get into our fundamentals of you know cpg and building a strong brand give us a overview of of outer aisle and what your vision is for the company and what you guys are trying to create 
Absolutely. So, you know, you, you hit the, the nail on the head about the name and that's really what, it, you know, the name portrays exactly what we're, what our product is about. You know, the, um, the, the product itself is really, it's a bread alternative that's plant-based. So no, our, our product is, is, is products is based out of products that you're going to find in the outer aisles of a grocery store. 63% cauliflower, whole cage free eggs, Parmesan cheese, and nutritional yeast. So the name really reflects what our product is all about. Um, and it, it, you're right. It's genius. And interestingly, you know, a name is, is people, it's very important when you think about the CPG category. Um, the naming convention of your product is hugely important. Um, when you think about some of the very successful brands out there, um, they literally tell the consumer what it is. Think Skinny Pop Popcorn. Um, genius naming convention. Very simple. But it literally told consumers, hey, this is low-calorie popcorn. Um, you know, very simple. It doesn't take a leap for the consumer to get what is in that package. What are they getting? What the brand promise is. Yeah, I think a lot of these technology companies have really missed the, the the mark here. They they try to take different words and mesh them together, and you read it. It just doesn't make any sense. It just is not logical. It it has no place in your mind, and that's why when I when I saw this outer aisle, I thought instantly, this is healthy, and I could see that it was a bread alternative. Yep. And let's face it, you guys are in a really hot space right now, and. I've been following and covering a lot of plant-based foods. Obviously, with 63% cauliflower, you fall directly into that that sweet spot. And you're also in a sweet spot that you're in a grocery store because they've been essential. A lot of shoppers, you know, sticking in the grocery stores, you know, finding alternatives for their family. They're looking for different things. So you've got two things that are, you know, in your favor right now. Absolutely. The, you know, the plant-based category itself is just booming. Um, and you know, the likes of beyond and impossible, they're, they're leading the charge and it's, it's great. We are trying to do exactly what impossible and beyond did to the meat industry. And we're trying to do it for the brand industry or the bread category. Um, you know, when we think about the reason for these plant-based products, it's literally to try to get consumers to eat healthier. Um, when we think about two-thirds of American adult Americans are obese, that's that's pretty significant. That's staggering. It, it's it's incredible. Fifty percent are either diabetic or pre-diabetic. Tony, that's that's that that's, is, it's just unsustainable. You know, we talk about all the different challenges and crises in the world, but we've got a, a human crisis. And if you can, if you can, if we can make food also medicine, right? Um, then all of a sudden, these eating habits can help people, and it can lower, you know, the inflammation disease or the inflammatory diseases like diabetes, arthritis, Alzheimer's, heart disease, things like that. So we're yes, we 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 are out, you know, with a great product. You know, that's table stakes, right? The product's got to taste good. But if we can change the eating habits and make people a little bit healthier, then we've, we've done a good job. Yeah, that's what I love about companies that have a purpose and a mission that go way beyond capitalism. 
Yeah, it's it's uh, you know our our CEO John David founded the company, single mom with four boys, had some health issues. Um, you know she uh, celiac to start with, um, and. You know, she's from New Orleans, and you know New Orleans, Tony. They're, they're oh, home with a muffaletta. Yes. Yeah, you, 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 you know. Uh, you, yeah, I, we've, we've, we've been down Bourbon Street. <laughs> we, we, we've been down there. Yeah, you don't want to give up food, or at least good food, and, you know, sandwiches and things. And so she decided that, um, you know, the gluten-free bread options of the early days were filled with filler flours and tapioca and rice flours and things like that. They're still filled with grains. They're high carb. So this was that low carb option for, for a bread. Yeah, I think the trick is, you know, how do you make something delicious and nutritious and it has the same texture? Because you are trying to pull people away from habits that they've been just, it's been so ingrained in them, no pun intended, with the grain. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, that That has got to... Uh, be uh, you know foremost in the minds of your R and D scientist and, and your food scientist to you know kind of create that and obviously you guys have so tell you know tell us more about you know where you know where can we find it where where is it found and you know what are some of the different um, different SKUs that you are really the most popular right now so um, we um, we've got five SKUs and and two are the you know, leading the pack. It's that 80-20 rule for sure in our business. We've got an original sandwich then that has no seasoning in it. And then we have an Italian pizza crust. And the difference is five inch diameter versus eight inch diameter. So they're basically, intrinsically, they're the same product. The Italian pizza crust has some nice herbs to give it that Italian kind of feel to it from a pizza perspective. But we just launched at the beginning of this year an everything sandwich then. And so imagine. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. That sounds, that sounds really good. I mean, that's a staple in every house. Yeah. So we literally bake in the everything seasoning into our original sandwich thins to create a bagel replacement. I'm, I'm getting ready to blow your socks off, Tony. <laughs> a, a New York bagel literally has... Um, over 50 grams of, of carbs, where um, where ours has net carbs, it's it's two net carbs. So you're talking it's it's pretty night and day. You know, three three grams of carbs, just overall carbs, versus 50 grams of carbs in a in a New York bagel. So what you're saying is, if I want 50 grams of carbs, I'm gonna have to eat 25 of yours. That's like I'm gonna have to be like the Joey Chestnut of the outer uh, outer aisle. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's great. Well, I hope everyone you know embraces this this new change. And I think what really attracted me to to have this conversation with you is that you know being an expert in CPG you have been living and breathing this space for so long and you've got these principles in place. And, you know, we, we discussed this a little bit ahead of time and I thought, you know, you've really got to share this with everyone because like you said, you're in a, you're in a, a hot market, you've got a great name, but there's some other, like there's a science behind this, right? And the, the foundations, the fundamentals, and people are out there now wanting to get into the CPG space. They want to get into the plant-based food space. 
And I think you've got some pretty good ideas that might lead people into, well, here's the, the right type of company to start. Or if you want to go work for one of these companies, here are the things that you need to be making sure they kind of check these boxes. Because, for example, you wouldn't want to go into what, like salsa? You're, you're nailing it. Right? So it's, it's interesting, Tony. We've all you know been to a fancy food show or an Expo West or Expo East. And you see hundreds and thousands of booths. And truthfully, you know, you've got a guy selling his uncle's barbecue sauce. And yes, it tastes amazing. You've got somebody, you know, selling their grandmother's pasta sauce. And it's, it really is great. But, but is that mean they're going to be successful? And so many times, Tony, We'll go back two years later and those booths will be gone. Those products won't exist. They were great products. The owners were, were passionate, um, but they didn't, they didn't have what I call, you know, the, the pillars for success. Um, and that's, those are some of the things that I've learned over the many years that I've been in this. I've had some great mentors, Tony, and, and I've learned these these pillars and and what what they can do for a company that's trying to succeed in CPG. Right. And I think that's what everyone is here to kind of suss out, you know, through you. So why don't you take us through what the fundamentals are, what what you would look for? Well, yeah, and it's it's all about the consumer demands, but you know, the, the first one of the first pillars um, truly is or fundamentals is what category does your product play in? And is that category growing? Um, you know, for instance, would you want to launch a plant based milk or a traditional dairy milk right now? And I, and I know what your answer is, Tony. Yeah, no question on that. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, it, it sometimes it's not as cut and dry as that. Um, you know, sometimes you, you look at a category that's, that's pretty saturated, um, but you decide to do something, you know, to turn it on, you know, put it on its ear, so to speak. Um, you know, so you can do something like that. Those are a little bit more of those rarities, right? So ice cream wasn't necessarily really a hot category. I'm sure it was growing, but then again, Halo Top came out there with this low-calorie option. You can eat an entire pint and not feel guilty, and and they exploded. So you, and all a mode. I got to give a shout out to all a mode because they were on earlier, and they're one of the. I think they're the only ice cream out there that is nut-free. Yeah, and that's that's very unusual. So you take an item that's kind of saturated, right, and you you niche it, right, or yeah. you make it in that good for you. Um, genre. Yep, absolutely. And so the category itself has to be one that is growing, you know, that, that gives you that ground cover, right? Um, the second thing, and you kind of alluded to it um, with Alamode, is what is the unique selling proposition, right? So, you know, what is the benefit or attribute that sets the product apart from everything else in that category? Is it ownable? Um, you know, can you really um, you know, embrace it and will the consumer recognize it? Um, I love, you know, my background long time ago, Tony, I was in advertising and, you know, David, David Ogilvy, 
the the grandfather of advertising, you know, believed that the USP or you know unique selling proposition is the most important element of a product, and it's no different here. Um, the times have not changed. If you want to set yourself apart, um, you, you do it with those benefits and attributes that nobody else has. Do you have some? I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot. Do you, do you have any USPs that kind of come to mind? So you know, there's um, there's products out there that let me think. I mean, you know, so Siete, what you know, once again, grain free tortilla chips. Um, you know, one of the first to, to get out there and mass produce a grain free tortilla chip. Um, you know that. You know, everybody loves snacking, and you know to come out with grain free tortilla chips that that have these amazing flavors is is a perfect example, um, right? Um, let me think. There's there's some others. You know, a unique selling proposition because people that listen to this. Are- Maybe not everyone is in food and beverage. I mean, I think a lot of our listeners are in the food and beverage space, but there are people who are in the service space too. And that's the challenge is when you're selling something, you're in a category where there's competition. You know, how do you come up with that USP that truly is of value and not just something that you think is value, right? That's the, that's the real trick. Yeah. So everybody knows um, Vital Farms, right? Correct. So Vital Farms, you know, there, you can get cage-free eggs, you know, all over the place. But what Vital Farms has done is they've introduced you to the farmers. They've introduced you to the co-ops. So their unique selling proposition is bringing you to the actual farmers and introducing you. It's the story of the eggs. It's yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, The origin story that is really big right now. And I can tell you Palouse brands does that as well. Sarah Mater, she, we've, we've got an episode with her and they can literally track, you know, down to the field and down to the, the farmers and people just love the story. They just want to know that they're, you know, where they're sourcing their food from, uh, food transparency, I guess is what you would call that. Absolutely. And that's a, that's a big one, especially with, especially with consumers these days. Um, you know, outside of USP, um, there's, you know, I, and I hate to say this, but funding the financial viability, right? Do you have funds to withstand the ups and downs of the CPG industry, right? So, you know, deductions are going to come. Slotting is going to hit you. Um, a truck's going to break down and the, and the product's going to spoil. So you have to be prepared to be able to withstand those. That doesn't mean you have to have huge bankrolls, but it is expensive and it's costly. Um, and so you, you just need to make sure that you're, you're financially sound, which leads me to another foundation, which is your margins. I, I don't know if I would ever go into market in this industry with margins less gross margins less than 40 percent um why is that because if your gross margins at 40 percent next thing you know the distributor is going to take this there's going to be early pay discounts there's going to be slotting there's going to you're going to get hit with all this all these charges your margins are going to continue you're going to be required to promote 
Tony, and all right. that's going to hit your margins. So if you're not starting at 40, you're going to be in trouble. You're not going to, you're not going to be able to withstand, you know, the, the financial implications of growth. Yeah, and your savvy bankers are going to look at that as well, and they're going to understand that as well. And you're not going to get the funding that you need. Yep. So it, you know, margins play a big pl- big part, and it's you know, it's those the grocery stores. Everybody, they, they're they're all going to want a piece, and it just the higher you can start, forty five, fifty percent in a gross margin perspective, it allows you to. So when you get that call from X Y Z grocer and says. Hey, the movement's a little bit slow, Tony. You know, we're, we're, we're starting to worry about it. You can throw a promotion at him without even second guessing, you know, hey, now I'm in trouble. Tell, tell us a little bit more about slotting. I mean, I think we all understand it to, to some degree. You'd be surprised. I mean, a lot of retailers these days are doing kind of a free case fill. And that, that in my book, um, is, is the perfect slotting, right? Because it, it guarantees products on the shelf, right? So if you're giving a 150 store um, chain, you know, they bring in two SKUs and you have to give them 300 cases free. The, the argument there is, hey, I'm giving them product for free, but guess what? That product is going to end up on shelf. The slotting that, that is the, the, the hardest to take from a business perspective is when they say, well, it's $100 per store or it's $50 per store. And then you're stroking a check for X amount to, to, to play in their stores. And that that's a hard one to take when you think about cash flow and you think about, you know, managing a P&L, giving products so that it ends up on shelf, hugely positive. Writing a check so that product can eventually get on shelf, that's a tough one to swallow especially when you're talking to the CFO. So so really, who is taking the risk? Does the grocery store take the risk or is it a shared risk or does the risk mostly fall to the, the food brand? Well, I, I like to think of, of our retailers as partners. So I do think that they're taking a risk as well. So behind every product on a shelf is a category manager. And that category manager has to show their boss year-over-year growth. They have to show that... They are, you know, inventive and bringing innovation to their categories. So I like to think of them as partners. I really do. And at the end of the day, most category managers um, want your product to be a success. They chose you. They walked around Expo West and they saw your booth. They tried your product and said, I want to bring this in. So they have some they have some skin in the game as well. Most of it falls on the manufacturer, but I do believe that, that most retailers and most category managers are looking at us as a as a product that they want to succeed. Yeah, they, a strategic partner because yeah. if people are people are coming into the store to buy that unique product, they're in the store, they're shopping the aisles, and they're going to be buying other things. So, yeah, I, I love that idea, and I hope that all grocers think of it that way as a strategic partner. You know, I've always, I've, I've, you know, once again, I, I mentioned I had several mentors, but I've always learned that, you know, in this business, we do everything we can, um, you know, me and, and, and our sales team and the organization as a whole to meet and exceed the expectations of the grocer. You know, our first inquiry 
to an issue is, you know, how do we fix it? Um, you know, in how can we make this right? It's not what happened, you know, whose fault is it? It's how do we fix it? How do we make it right? You know, we're dealing with um, retailers like Sprouts, Kroger, Whole Foods, um, you know, these these giant, you know, um, industry leaders in grocery that are multi-billion dollar companies, they're, they're not going to waste a whole lot of time with us if we're nitpicking about why a shipment was late. Instead, we're going to figure out why the shipment's late and fix it and get it there as quickly as possible. You know, I think people are getting the idea, if they don't already know this, if they don't already work in this particular space, this is extremely niched and you need experts. And I think you're stealing my thunder, Tony. Well, because <laughs> I thought, you know, it's a perfect lead in really to, you know, a shameless plug, right? I mean, you, you know, sometimes you do need a headhunter too, you know, to go out and identify these very unique, unique people because. It, this is just such a, a complicated industry, right? You need, and here's your last setup. <laughs> I, I will tell you that that if you are not an expert, you need to hire an expert. That's that's one of the, the one of the the pillars that that is so important. Um, it, you know, one of the you know I, I the job before the one that I currently have. Um, we were a, a hummus company that was that was trying to, you know, overtake the behemoths, which is Tribe that was made by Nestle and Sabra that's made by PepsiCo. I mean, you're talking about Nestle and Pepsi, right? And, you know, one Monsters. of the things. Yeah, just huge, right? Just with all the resources and money just to beat up on little manufacturers like us. And yeah, the manufacturers' total revenues are a rounding error. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And the best move I made when I took over the sales department was I hired um, regional vice presidents of sales, the, the, the next level of sales, all of them from another hummus company. They came in, they knew the category, they knew the players, they knew the buyers, and we were able to take the number five hummus company to the number two hummus company in a short, you know, 14 months. And that's what expertise does, Tony. There's some industry, I should say not industry, there's some functions that you can hire people who are not experts in your industry. I'll give you a great example, accounting. Yeah. Because you're you're just moving numbers. I get that absolutely. You're, you know, it's generally accepted accounting principles. Gap. If they know Gap, if they're a CPA, they'll figure out your industry. Don't think you've got to go out and find a. You know, someone's going to be arguing with me and say, "No, they need to." Have, I don't think so. But I don't I, think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. But there's some understand, nuances, you know, and there's some vernacular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But they'll learn but, that. I mean, it's fun yes. for them to learn something new too. Yep, absolutely. But. The expertise, hiring the right people is, is hugely important. And, you know, especially if you want accelerated growth, um, it's, you know, there, you can, you can take time and you can learn and you can teach, but if you want accelerated rapid growth, it's, it's through the expertise of people that have done it, 
people that have seen it um, that help you avoid the traps, the black ice, whatever you want to call it, of the industry. Um, having those people is is paramount to success. So I'd say you have probably have two choices. So if you're a food brand, you're launching, you either you hired internal or you hire an external consultant. It sounds like you you have to get that experience somewhere and. Consultants are expensive, they're hourly, but that might give you what you need until you really get those retailers and those grocers to, you know, kind of buy in and give you more space. When um, to- otherwise cuz if you don't, you all the things that you laid out about margin and having the the, the financial backing, you don't really, you really can't afford to go slow, can you? Because it's no. right? I mean, what little money you have just gets gets sucked away, so you kind of need to come in big and strong, it sounds like, from, from the beginning. Absolutely. And, you know, otherwise, you, you end up spinning wheels and it ends up costing you a lot more. You know, one of the things that we talked about, you know, earlier to, in, our, in our prep call, Tony, was, you know, about talent acquisition. And one of the things that, that I've always kind of adhered to was a, a slow to hire, quick to fire mentality, Right. Um, you know, so really do your due diligence. And, you know, and I'm, I'm talking once again more about the, you know, money is a resource. It's not a finite resource, right? Uh, no, excuse me. It's not an infinite resource. It's a finite resource. Correct. So, you know, when you start thinking about that talent acquisition, boy, you, you've got to make the right decisions. Otherwise, you're put back months. Um, and, and it's, it's very hard to recover. Um, so it's, you know, so when you think about bringing on advisors, um, you know, talking to, to, you know, getting people on board, it's, it's, you, you, you really need, you, you really need to find those correct people that are going to guide your business to the next level. And sometimes that's not easy to do. I mean, there's, there's resources out there, but it is it is a challenge, especially in this day and age. I think it's getting harder and harder to find really good talent, Tony. Why, why do you think that is? You know, I, I think it, and it started, Tony, you're the expert in this category, Tony. So I'm going to. I know. I just love that. That's why I just said, you know, let me just ask him a real quick question. Let's just see what he thinks. I, I do. I think, honestly, once COVID hit, I think people took stock in their in their current lifestyle and and I think people just kind of took a step back. I think there's there's a I don't know, it's you're nailing it. it, it yeah. I would tell you we there is so much fear in the market right now and I would say false fears are your biggest foes. There is a there is such a fear of changing jobs right now and getting into the unknown that Suddenly, that job that you couldn't stand, you know, yeah, the devil that you know versus the devil you, devil you don't know. So that's really where it becomes incumbent upon us to be great storytellers. We really have to understand our client and our client culture, what the mission is, and really help allay those fears. And frankly, it's kind of forcing people to look at the problems or challenges that they were currently having and reassessing those. And you know, can I fix these problems? And granted, there are some problems that you can't fix, and that's when you do have to leave, and you have to just suck it up. You know, you have to get over your fears because a fear is not always necessarily based in reality. 
So we have to kind of, you know, if you could see me, I'm kind of rolling my eyes. You know, I kind of feel like <laughs> at, at one point, you know, we're, we're, we're career counselors and guidance counselors and we're also psychologists, you know, and salespeople all, all wrapped in one. Yeah, you guys um, are the matchmakers, um, truthfully, right? I mean, you're you're trying to make a perfect match, and it's 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 difficult. Um, you know, how are you supposed to hire the perfect person um, after a one hour interview? How do you tell? A- well, you can't. You I can't. mean, you you, yeah. you can't you you can't do that, and. You know, my best advice is you need to have panel, not necessarily panel interviews. You need to have lots of stakeholders. So, for example, in the CPG world, you've got sales, you have marketing, you have operations, you have innovations. You've got all these different different departments that this one person might be interacting with. So you need to get those viewpoints from all those other um, functions that are going to be you know, touched by this person, let them add that input. And that's how you build your, your nine box or your, your scorecard. That's how you begin to hire better is by bringing more people into the conversation, getting more ideas put in and then getting everyone on the same page. I've had to do that for many clients is bring them all in one room, set them down and get everyone on the same page for here, are the three, four, five things we absolutely have to have. And the original you know, CXO who owned the position may not have thought of those things, but now that they've got the buy-in from those other stakeholders, that person now is going to be playing well with those other groups, which makes that CXO's life that much easier because he knows, you know, he or she's got that buy-in. The second thing is you really should try using assessments. There's some real, there's some expensive ones and there's some not so expensive ones. I love Clifton Strengths Finder. It's $50. It does give you an insight into who they are, what their strengths are. But then there are, are other assessment companies that we work with that we help assess leaders. And these are the, you know, IO psychologists. And yep. you just have to use all that data. And at the end of the day, you know, you, you have reporting. You look at the data and you think, based on our interviews, our scoring, and the assessments, and they come out of the industry, you know, we think we're making the best decision. Yeah, I, you know, you, those those panels that you talk about. Yeah, there's there's no other way for an interview candidate to to understand the culture of an organization. Um, you know that, and and allowing these other departments, whether they work directly or not with the individual, it, it's irrelevant. It's a way for them to communicate the culture, and then as well, you know, better assess. Is you know said candidate gonna fit in in this culture? Um, the, you know, I'm I'm never afraid, Tony, to to give a, a candidate some homework as well. Uh, really? You know, what do you mean? So you know, give me an example of how would you pitch? You know, Albertsons. Um, you know, uh, oh, till, I got gotcha. you. They have know, to come back with a a case. Like yeah. here's how it. Hmm. Well, I mean, let's face it. Like. Why would you not give an accountant, you know, uh, I don't know, a set of books to balance? Or uh, why would you not ask a marketing professional to show their portfolio? It makes perfect sense. That, you, you nailed it right there, Tony. Um, I also think that's really important that, you know, some people can, can skirt this issue. But, but if you dig deep enough and if you ask the right questions, do they believe in, in the company and the product? Um, I think that's... That's so so often understated. 
but when you when you're not dealing with a technology, you know, you're not working for Verizon, but if you're working for a CPG company that actually produces a product, do you believe in, in what that product stands for? Um, that that cannot be understated because especially in, in sales and, and manufacturing, it's, you know, I want manufacturing and ops to take so much care in, in, in producing the product and pride in it. I want the salespeople to believe in the benefits and attributes so much that they can sell it in their sleep. Those are the kind of things that are very important that you don't get from a resume. And, you know, that's the secret sauce to high retention rates, better quality, and brand evangelism. We had uh, James Walker on earlier. He's with uh, Nathan's Famous. He's uh, pretty well known in the restaurant space. And, you know, his contention is your best brand ambassadors are your internal employees. So not only do you have a great product, but you have everyone pulling in the same direction. There's a passion for what you're trying to do. The stats that you just threw out at the beginning about the, the number of people who are obese or, you know, have diabetes or prediabetes and all these other kind of bodily ailments, you know, that should concern everyone. You know, we want the best for everyone. And so when you realize what you're doing every day, every hour on the production line is contributing to the health of people, suddenly when someone's sick and you're asked to come in, there's no question. You know, I need you to come in on Saturday. There's no question. You know, that's how you build a great company. Yep. So interesting, you know. It, You're preaching it, to the choir. I, I mean, I'm getting on my soapbox now. <laughs> I love the soapbox. You, got, you, you, you push my buttons there, Brian. Um, but but the, the evangelism is, is amazing. And there's a, there's a couple, you know, anecdotes I, I want to touch on here. So in my interview with uh, my my current CEO, Jean, we, we went to lunch, you know, between the, the day of interviews and we, we ate at a restaurant. She literally pulled Outer Owl product out of her purse and used it to, to eat hummus. And, you know, you want to talk about like just being jaw dropped. I was like, this is awesome. This is, this is a company and a leader I want to work for. Um, so, you know, that's the kind of stuff that, that I love. And the other thing, you know, when we think about how do we evangelize, right? Um, I, I always have a stack of coupons with me. So whenever I'm in a grocery store, whenever I'm on an airplane, it doesn't matter. If I'm talking to somebody about it and, and they're interested, they're getting a coupon. If I see somebody in the aisle, they're getting a coupon. Um, I so want, basically, if someone comes up to shake your hand, they pull their hand away. Hell, oh, here's a coupon. Exactly. <laughs> use, yeah, you use every opportunity. When you love what you do, it's you just do it. it it's yeah. not it's, you're not forced, you know, it's like you're proud to give it because you want them to try that product. You're not, uh, you know, it's, it's not about the saving money. It's the incentive. Hey, go try this. You're going to love it. You're going to love it so much that you won't care that you don't have a coupon next time. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's really, it's one of those things that I've, I, I've, I've always enjoyed, um, you know, walking a grocery store and watching consumers and, and, you know, their 
you know, what they're looking at, what, how they're searching, how they're shopping. And you can, you can learn a lot about that and the categories that we're in. And, you know, I'm never afraid to talk to somebody, even, even with COVID, you know, you'd think people were a little bit shy, especially when we were all wearing masks, but you'd be surprised. People want to talk. And then when they find out you work for XYZ company, Boy, I tell you what, you can get, you know, just for instance, Tony, when, when the first CPG company I started, uh, we were working out of a garage in Austin, Texas. And we weren't producing in the garage, Tony. Don't, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, oh boy, <laughs> but, FDA is not going to approve this. Yes. But we literally, we would go around the country and demo our products personally, like literally lugging a table, lugging, a, you know, a little hot plate, all that stuff. And, and we learned so much about our product because people would be like, oh, you know, this is really amazing. Where do you get your green chilies from? We'd be like, Hatch, New Mexico. And they'd be like, Hatch, New Mexico, these are the best chilies in the world. So guess what? Next label iteration, Hatch chilies inside. You know I mean? it's You can right. learn so much from your consumers. Um, you should always be listening to your consumers. Yeah, it sounds like you guys and the the beverage guys who are always out there trying to get people into tastings. I don't think people really understand the amount of work ethic, you know, that is involved to get something like this off the ground. And you guys have done it and it's it's fantastic. And, you know, I, I hope more people reach out, try it, and you know, connect with you. You know, speaking of that, we talked a little bit about hiring. Um, do you want to put a shout out for anything going on in the company? Do you you guys have any, you know, kind of critical needs, open needs that you'd like people to perhaps, if they're in the industry, send a, a resume to you? We are always hiring. So, you know, I mean, with with our growth and, and you know, there's there's needs in ops. Um, and, you know, um, I, I think that there is there's always a need. Uh, you know, we, we can't, you know, we can't fill it fast enough. You know, Tony, we, we touched on it a little bit. It is so hard right now to get, you know, serious qualified candidates. Um, and we, we welcome we, we welcome anybody that's interested in working for a, you know, a company that's really trying to revolutionize the bread category and really trying to make people healthier um, through eating habits. Well, you know what I love about the podcast space or the industry is that, you know, people can learn about you. They can learn about me without having to meet us right away. Right. And anyone who's listening to this, they're getting a pretty good feel for you and your passion. You'd be a great person to work for the company as well. So I really do encourage people to reach out to you. Are you on any particular social media channels other than LinkedIn? Because I am going to link you, you know, in the uh, show notes so people will be able to find you on LinkedIn. Are there other ways that people could connect with you or is LinkedIn the best? LinkedIn is the best. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's my go-to. Yeah, mine as well. Mine as well. That's that's where all the business folks hang out, and that's where I am as well. Uh, Brian, I mean, there's been so much information here. I feel like we could have done a deep dive into a couple of those areas, and we might just have to have you back on to go, uh, you know, an inch wide, mile deep into something else because you, you know, this is such a, a natural space for you. I just want to thank you on behalf of winning at work, coming out, you know, taking time out of out of your day to 
you know, kind of educate us and help us, you know, understand a little bit more about the, the competitive nature of CPG and, and these pillars or fundamentals that you you have really uncovered um, through your own hard work and through your work with your mentors. Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity, Tony, and I, uh, you know, I, I love what you do and what you represent, and um, I, uh, I, I, I thank you so much for letting me be a part of it. Yeah, well, it, it's it's my pleasure, and uh, we we will have a follow up because there's so much happening in this plant plant based world, you know, the high growth. So, you know, as we get more into discussions on you know sustainability and in these other areas, I think. I think it'll be great to have you back on and get another perspective. Thank you so much, Tony. I appreciate it. Thank you.